0: This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition, And just to name a few names of people who are consistently using Fizzy Vantage products, their pro athlete team includes Matt Foltz, Paige Klassen, Drew Ruana, Jonathan Segrist, Natalia Grossman, Melina Costanza, Brittany Goris, Jordan Cannon, Katie Lambert, Jimmy Webb, and Daniel Woods. The list goes on and on. Basically, the who's who of high-performance rock climbing, they are all using Fizzy Vantage products. I personally love the supercharged Collagen, I'm obsessed with getting stronger fingers. I'm actually about to start a new training cycle for an upcoming bouldering trip to Switzerland. I'm so excited. And I've been taking a lot of collagen because I wanna make sure I'm giving my body all the building blocks it needs to make stronger tendons. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage yourself, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. This episode is also brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I have tried a lot of different Chalk, in my 15 plus years of climbing and this is my favorite i love the texture it's got the perfect amount of grit to it that makes it feel stickier than other chalks i swear to you it stays on my hands longer than other chalks and if you're trying a long boulder problem or a pumpy sport climb or trad climb not having to stop and chalk up as often can make all the difference. Head over to chalkcartel.com to check out their shop. They've got quarters, they've got kilos, they've even got a sample pack for $3. I call that the dime bag. So you can try it out before diving elbow deep into your chalk bucket. And if you're already hooked, like me, you can buy a subscription and have amazing chalk automatically sent to your house. And you can have it sent as often as you want, every month, every two months, or every three months. All their packaging is eco-friendly, so keeping your chalk bag full has never been easier or lower impact. Again, that's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. Chalk Cartel, great chalk, no bullshit. And finally, this episode is brought to you by grasshopper climbing. I got to try out the grasshopper board a couple summers ago, and I've been wanting to climb on one ever since. It's hard to find a grasshopper board, but this thing is my favorite of all of the boards that I've tried. I'm an engineer, and when I climb on a new climbing board or in a new gym, I'm always noticing little things that bug me or that I would change. And I can honestly tell you that with the grasshopper board, I wouldn't change a thing. They put a ton of thought into their hold shaping and their layout. Now they have the pro hold set with tiny little crimps on it. If you're strong and wanna get better at crimping, I think this board has the highest bang for your buck value of any board I've ever climbed on. And the best part, because the angle is adjustable, this board is for everybody, no matter what level you're climbing at. The Grasshopper board gives you an entire climbing gym experience right in your home or garage, but don't take my word for it because the folks at Grasshopper believe in their product and they just want you to try it out and see for yourself. If you want to learn more, head over to grasshopperclimbing.com or check them out on Instagram at Grasshopper Climbing. And if you decide to pull the trigger on a board, be sure to tell them I sent you because the folks at Grasshopper are offering you guys, listeners to this podcast, $500 off when you order a fully kitted out 8 by 10 foot board. That's their smallest board. And you can save even more than that if you upgrade to a larger board. Again, that's grasshopperclimbing.com to learn more and connect with their sales team. And be sure to tell them I sent you to save $500 or more on your very own grasshopper board. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And I have two guests today. Tom Randall and Sam Van Boxtel are both back on the podcast. Tom Randall, of course, is a professional climber. This guy's climbed some of the hardest cracks in the world. He's also an elite climbing coach and a business owner. He's the co-founder of Lattice Training, which is one of the biggest climbing training companies in the world yada, yada, yada. I'm sure you guys know all this already. Tom's been on the podcast a couple times, first in episode 74, and I did a follow-up with Tom about a year ago. Both of those episodes are excellent. Highly recommend. I'll link to them in the show notes for this episode if you want to check them out. Sam Van Boxtel is my second guest today. He was originally on the podcast in episode 134. He is a social media expert. He is the guy who's helping me with The Nugget. He helped me get started with my channel and is managing everything over there on my YouTube channel. So, we talk about that more in this episode, but I couldn't be doing the YouTube channel without Sam. And today's episode is a full on geek out about all things YouTube. We talked about why YouTube is the future of climbing media. Big statement there, but these guys have convinced me that that is true and I'm excited to see where things go with YouTube and climbing in the future. We talked about that. We talked about why Sean Rabitu's vlog is such a big deal for climbing and what's likely to happen next as far as YouTube and climbing are concerned. We talked about why I started a channel for The Nugget and my goals with that and what you guys can expect if you check it out. We talked about how much money YouTubers make and how they make their money. I'm sure that's something many of you are curious about. We talked about the keys to being successful on YouTube, and we all shared what we are most excited about as far as the future of climbing in YouTube is concerned and where we think climbing media is headed. So yeah, change of pace today, but I thought this was a really fun topic, given that I recently started my own channel with The Nugget, and I learned a lot, and I hope you guys find it interesting and enjoy. And speaking of the Nugget YouTube channel, congratulations to Harrison Bearbell for winning the free training bundle giveaway. We did a free training bundle giveaway with some of my favorite sponsors in the month of February for those of you who went over and subscribed to the YouTube channel. And we have a winner. Congratulations once again to Harrison Bearbell. Harrison, if you're listening to this, I messaged you on Instagram, so be sure to hit me up over there and we can get your details all figured out and get you some good products. Harrison is going to be walking away with a kilo of chalk and some other goodies from Chalk Cartel a bundle of my favorite skincare products from Rhino Skin Solutions, and a free hangboard from Frictitious Climbing, a total value of more than $300 in this training bundle. So congratulations once again to Harrison. And of course, it's never too late to subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'll link to it right there if you scroll down in your podcast app. You can always go check it out at youtube.com slash atthenuggetclimbing. I'm really excited about what we're doing over there. The feedback has been awesome, and there's going to be more videos coming all the time. We're doing two a week, so lots of new content popping up over there on the YouTube channel. All right, that is plenty of talking from me. Without further ado, let's dive in. Please enjoy this deep dive into all things YouTube with Tom Randall and Sam Van Boxtel. Cause, 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 no one can do it like- Like we do it, like we do it. What happened? I don't know. I don't know what happened.
1: I walked back from getting water and no one was on the Zoom. It was just me recording. I was like, okay. And I close out and then I joined the same link and You guys are here. You guys? Anyways. <laughs> I, I was here the whole time.
0: I just, I just turned my camera off and muted myself so I could use my pee bottle before we jumped in here.
1: You showed up. Very yeah. Important. I had... I was hiding non video people, so you probably just disappeared from my radar. oh,
0: I see yeah that's a I did do that I, I turned my video off, Tom, I bet you have pretty good beta on pee bottles. Do you have any revolutionary I, I've had this conversation with so many different people, and uh and surprisingly people people are passionate about this topic. I am a big fan of the opaque white orange juice container because the citrus. <laughs> kind of cuts the pee smell and you can't see it which is great and it has the handle you know and um i don't know some people swear by like an old Nalgene cuz the the opening is larger and Jordan Cannon was psyched on the old laundry detergent bottle i think that's his method but then i'm like can you dump it in a bush if there's laundry detergent mixed in there you know like that, <laughs> that doesn't seem good I, I generally like to up the skill level a little bit. I kind of like a
2: little bit of a challenge with it. So I go for a uh, a narrow a narrow necked bottle just so you can find that fine line between uh, <laughs> applying added volume to the bottle and the external pressure and uh, ga- gas release as, uh, as you fire, <laughs> fire into that bottle. <laughs> but I can offer you a very good uh, tip for um, your van and peeing activities. Please. Yeah, never pee uphill. <laughs> never pee uphill. <laughs>
0: <work>. <laughs> Have you tried? It seems pretty obvious. I want to know the story
2: behind this tip. I'll, I'll tell you the story, but it has to be off screen. It's too disgusting for anyone to actually. Oh, um, damn it. I oh, uh, no. want to hear, hear how bad it is.
0: <laughs> this is this is supposed to be the hook, Tom. This is going to pull people into this YouTube conversation. They want to hear about us peeing in vans. I'm sure of it. Oh, do you actually really want to hear it? Yeah, I actually do. I think I think there's no, probably, <laughs> probably something here. <laughs> <laughs> this is the goods. Yeah. Uh, so,
2: so I, I think I, I I discovered the the ultimate peeing van fluid dilemma when a few years back I was driving up to the Lake District to go and do this 24-hour racing kind of challenge thing to support uh, a friend of mine. Um, and unfortunately, I had a really bad uh, tooth abscess at the time. And I think I'd just taken way too many painkillers. And I'd had to stop part of the way up on this drive to go and support this guy through this like nighttime challenge um, because I was just really out of it but also throwing up all the time and I ended up in the back of my van on the kind of like the layout bed thing where I had this big plastic kind of bucket sideways kind of lined up with my face and I was just puking sideways into this bucket in just incredible pain with this uh like a tooth abscess but at the same time I was trying to like chug and drink water all the time because i was trying to swill it around my mouth because that kind of um effect if you put a kind of cold substance against your gum it slightly cuts down the pain so i was peeing so much but i was like puking and peeing into a bottle sideways and just let's just say i had to clean the the, uh, seats quite a bit (laughs) (laughs) it didn't work wow Um... that's a visual it was so hardcore. Um, <laughs> it was very, very unpleasant. But
0: I didn't bail on my friend and I still stuck on with it and did it for him. Oh, that's amazing. What a supportive partner you are. Thou thou must never spill the pea bottle. That's the golden rule of van life. But if you're know. you know, if you have a tooth abscess and you're puking your brains out, I guess uh <clears throat> Sometimes exceptions Sometimes need exceptions to be made. Sometimes exceptions need to be made. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
1: Do we have any visuals, Tom, for that, for the YouTube clip? You know, because we like to overlay the visuals, you know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thankfully, no. Just a time lapse of him cleaning his cleaning the seats in his van, <clears throat> scrubbing and scrubbing. Thank you for that. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure entirely. <laughs> well, it is great to see you both again. Uh, Tom, I believe this is your third time on the podcast, and uh, we've had some other conversations here and there. And then, Sam, I get to see you all the time now that you're helping me out with YouTube. (laughs) And you've been on the podcast, of course. But yeah, thank you both for being here, and welcome back. Thanks for having us. Of course. I didn't even realize i have been on two other times. You have, yeah. We did a main episode, and then we did a follow-up about how to program your training as a self-coached athlete, which is still one of my favorite follow-ups I've ever done. I think that's one of the most valuable conversations I've ever had on the Nugget. I really mean that. So, yeah, wow, really, really appreciate you. Oh
2: shit, that didn't go very well. I was, I was about to take the I was about to take the piss massively, and then uh, Steven just said
1: something really nice and genuine. So I, I take <laughs> all that back. About it. And you well, forgot now, about that episode, Tom. You forgot about it. <laughs>
0: Uh well, I know how it goes. You re- now you record your own podcast and uh I don't I don't know how you feel about this Tom but um at the you know at the start doing my own show I really prided myself in knowing my content better than anybody because I would have the conversations and then I would edit the conversations and then I would listen to the finished product. I wanted to make sure that I felt like I really was in tune with my content and what I was putting out there. So for the first like 50 ep- episodes or so I could tell you every guest I'd interviewed, their episode number, what we talked about, all that stuff. And then somewhere around episode 50, my brain just hit capacity. And it was like I did a full on brain dump. And all of that, I just lost all of it. And all of a sudden, I couldn't remember anything. And from then on... Um, this funny thing happens where I have these moments where maybe I'm going back through the website or something, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I forgot I interviewed that person." That's right, <laughs> you know. I loved that episode. It's just, it's just funny. Um, so yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's all running together for you with the podcast and and all the other things that you have your hands in. You're such a busy guy. It seems like.
1: I say, that's Tom's life. That's Tom's life is <laughs> you know, <It's> just everything. <laughs>
0: doing everything all the time. I think the main
1: thing is just. I just try and do
2: everything that I really genuinely enjoy and get so much out of. Mm. I think it's maybe the number one thing when people ask me, like, how do you find the energy for it to keep it up really consistently? And I would say I'm extremely intentional about only putting things into my life that I have a mega passion for, because then it actually makes it very easy to just turn up for long days consistently all the time it would suck if any of this i didn't enjoy yeah. like all day i have looked forward to the you know recording the podcast with you and it's something that i
0: actually properly enjoy doing so it's easy right on that's awesome is there anything that you're up to anything new that you're really fired up about right now oh good question you got me right off
2: uh my guard there uh Anything that I'm really fired up for right now? uh, Yeah, okay. I'll tell you. Yeah, I will say the main thing that I am, and it just comes straight to the top of my mind, uh, but the thing I think I am mainly fired up for is I've kind of been on a search for maybe a good year or so for the ultimate climbing experience in a single pitch, kind of like, If you could think about what would be the dream 15-minute, 30-minute experience that you think that just broke my mind, how incredible that is, I've been searching and adapting and adjusting things on every single route to try and get that magic because I really, really luckily came across it maybe a year ago or so, no, maybe a year and a half ago, actually, um, just by a freak chance and noticed it and went, that was insane. And then I've been on a little mission all the way since then trying to get that back again. That's my, that's my thing that I'm kind of really psyched for at the moment because it's very hard to get it.
0: Yeah. What do, you, what do you mean exactly? Did you stumble into that with an outdoor route that you just found or stumbled into? Or are you talking about like designing that route experience in the gym? What What exactly are you talking about there? Uh, So I'm talking about the sort of internal
2: experience that you get in your body and mind when you go climbing and it being something that is, uh, I don't really even have a word for it, just say very, very special and you know that it is utterly unique in terms of something that you've experienced in your life. And that happened on a route um, called Once Upon a Time um, about a year and a half ago and Everything sort of all lined up and since then I've tried to get that same experience back again and just sort of copy the scenarios that occurred in that day to try and get that to happen again. But I couldn't do it and it's just turned out that it's surprisingly tricky to get all things to line up, just like anything in life. If it's, if it's hard to achieve, it's very alluring and very attractive to try and go after it. Um, so that's been my yeah, my, my little mission. And I've mm. done it just once since. And I would say in a 30-minute experience, I managed to stay in it for 20 minutes of it. And I'm incredibly grateful for it because I know that it is possible to do. Um, I think it sounds really hippie and wishy-washy, um, but it's been my thing for little no, that I've been getting psyched off.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I, I think I think what you're talking about a lot of us can relate to on some level. I think that's why so many of us fall in love with climbing. You know, it's it's maybe not the, you know, maybe maybe most people listening to this haven't experienced that full immersion in that moment the way that you did on Once Upon a Time. Um, but we've all tasted that, you know, on some level. I think that's why climbing so so um, attractive and just captivates people. So that, that's awesome. I, I can't wait to hear uh, where you find it again if you do and what, what that search opens up for you, I guess. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, um, it's one of those things, because I like uh,
2: sharing ideas and concepts and experiences and stuff like that. Then uh, as I get further
0: into my mission, I'll uh, I'll definitely be yeah, talking about it more, for sure. For nice. sure. Yeah, and it's fun to hear about that one, too, because I recently put out an episode with Anna Hazelnut, and we talked about your relationship, uh, uh, the two of you, and, and climbing on that route. So that's really fun to hear that that was a special experience for you as well. Yeah, it's awesome. Should we talk about YouTube?
1: Sure. Always.
0: (laughs) Okay, my first question, I think it was Sam that pitched me this podcast episode. I would love to hear, just tell me about the conversation that you two were having that led you to want to record this podcast
1: episode. Why are we recording an entire episode about YouTube? Oh my goodness. It's because of several times that Tom has joined our weekly calls and go, Sam, YouTube's the thing. No one gets it. We need to be on YouTube. We need to get people on YouTube. And after enough times, I was like, all right, I think there's something here. And yeah, recently, I mean, we've gone further in that with working with brands on YouTube and I just, uh, eyes are being open to, yeah, how much is there and the value that, I don't know, that's being missed out on. Tom, what led you to you know, come into our Zoom calls, sub so on YouTube. <laughs> I'll pass it to you. I think I always get interested by areas in life or
2: climbing, which are they don't they're, they're sort of underserved in the amount of attention that people are giving in some area of the interaction with it. So I would say YouTube isn't necessarily underserved in terms of the amount of viewing that occurs now, nearly all of us watch probably countless hours of YouTube every single week. Um, But in terms of the climbing population, whether it's uh, athletes themselves or brands, I think it's extremely underserved in terms of attention and attention in terms of the content creation and the way that that is uh, dealt with. And I think that's really, really interesting because to me, it seems totally illogical that we're in that situation now and i look at these scenarios and go wait a minute nothing's adding up why would youtube not be the almost the sole focus of most of the brands out there or the majority of athletes that are putting out content because there's no denying that tens of thousands of athletes around the world put out content in both video and photo format but especially video format and yet they have very very little role to play on youtube Mm. and that's where i think having this kind of conversation on a podcast should hopefully be really cool to kind of just look at where the opportunities lie where the barriers to entry are for people some of maybe just the misunderstandings about how it works and how you build these things from a start what's the start of the story look like what does the middle look like what's the end goal you know, what's the purpose? All of these things. I
1: think they're, they're super interesting because it hasn't had enough attention in climbing yet, in my view. Mm. Yeah. I, th- I just think you can count like pretty quickly. I could count on my hand or maybe two hands. How many like bigger climbing creators there are on YouTube that put out content regularly. And most of them, I'm shocked that like don't have a bunch of brand partners or aren't like brands aren't like aggressively reaching out and wanting to work with these people when there's only a handful, mm. yet they're excited and open to Instagram. And that makes sense when there's hundreds. Like, that's where that's like, goes back to Tom saying, numbers didn't add up. I'm like, mm. wait, you don't have a shoe brand who's wants to be the shoe brand of blank person, one of the 10 people that are like really notable um, on YouTube. So it's it's just super interesting.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Like I,
1: I, Go ahead, Tom. Like I'd, even, I'd even given you a sort of like a,
2: a really practical... Sort of uh, rule of not rule of thumb, but sort of uh, a marker for how much I think YouTube is a very, very important factor in the climbing industry. Now is that I would say nine out of ten conversations, if not almost, you know, like nine point five out of ten conversations that I have with climbers anywhere around the world that I meet in meet the crag, meet the climbing wall, just random people you come across in the supermarket. One of the first things that will come out of their mouth is, I really love what you're doing on YouTube on XXX channel. Wow. And it might be a variety of different channels that I've appeared on, whether it's some of my own creation or something that I've appeared on with a collaborator or as, you know, I'm a, I'm a guest on that channel. But it always starts with this huge gratitude towards, thanks so much for what you've done on YouTube. And this is not like the conversations that I had five, 10 years ago as a professional athlete of, Hey man, I think your climbing's really cool. Or I loved what you did with that first ascent. It's it's just a completely different way of communicating in that interaction.
0: I think that's very very interesting. So yes, Sam, it's it's kind of your passion and your job to think about all this stuff, to think about like why, you know, what what's the next thing and and where are things going and you know, it's your, it's how you make your money as as a business owner. Tom How did you become interested in this? Is it just through seeing the Lattice training YouTube evolve over time, or is it just getting those kinds of comments from people? You you seem to have a similar obsession with not just like, how do I create content uh, to help people, but thinking about like, where are things going in climbing? What's next? Um, Where does that come from, do you think? I would say I've always been a good sort of consumer
2: of all the content whether it's written photo video format that goes on within climbing i've really liked pulling in from a a big wide broad diverse tree of stuff that's, that's being created and and i like doing that because i really like going with intuitive sense of where i see momentum and a degree of you know quality engagement and where i see brands being built and where i see kind of Genuine human interaction, rather than just this surface bullshit that is just vacuous marketing, which is, which is nothing. I'm kind of looking for real, true human interactions that are occurring through these sort of media formats. And I think over the last four years or so, especially the yeah, I've said the last four years, I just noticed that more and more of that was occurring on YouTube whilst there was this in- ever-increasing building of interest and viewing numbers in it, yet no increase in content. So it was like a huge demand build-up, but a, a tiny, tiny supply. And so you had this sort of supply-demand issue, which we all know in you know basic economics as such is going to cause a really interesting scenario. So I just observed it and thought, this is a thing and i think we should all be paying attention to it and you know i I was involved with sam with climbers crag um back at the start of uh almost like two years ago and it was one of the early conversations that we had that i said i know it feels like it's late on youtube and youtube's been around forever but i can assure you that right now this is still the start and I i can feel it i know it is for sure so we need to and get involved with it and and also try and help others get involved with it and kind of educate and and learn how the 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 sort of the the game in inverted uh, commas works Mm.
1: that was that was two years ago and i think it's still just as true in Mm. terms of people still like it still feels early almost like you have like we'll probably talk about later but you have like sean Rabatou and some of these people moving over everyone's like whoa It almost feels like a risky move still like I feel like I don't know if this is just my sentiment on it is like, whoa, that's a big move. And it's like or that's like risky and it's like, wait, climbing YouTube's been around a while. Why is this? This is not a risky thing. This is a smart thing. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, let's actually
0: go there now. So I'm I'm going off of um, the bullet points that you and I have talked about, Sam. So I think we have the same outline yep. here, but I reorganized things. So um, it might feel like I'm bouncing around out of order. But I do think that would be the most interesting place to go next. And then we can kind of start to talk about, um, you know, who some of the top names are in climbing YouTube and what brands can do and what individuals can do and things like that. But Sean Rabatou, why is Sean Rabatou starting his vlog such a big deal? I think, Sam, you had said that this is like one of the biggest things in climbing media in the last several, several years. And I think somehow I like know that you're right. Like, I have this deep feeling watching his show. I'm like, wow, this is different. This is so interesting. You know, watching one of the strongest climbers in the world you know, go through the process of trying one of the hardest boulders in the world in the snow and all this stuff. Like, it's so interesting to me because that's what I'm interested in. I've never been a reality TV guy and I'm like, I can't wait for his next episode to come out.
1: Um, But yeah, why is that such a big deal? I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that. I think first off, this is classic Sam hyperbole. Tom can can back me. I don't know if I would, I don't know if I'd lead with that, but I do think it's a big deal. Like, I'm not going to back, like, I do think, because to me, it's someone... On surface value, you wouldn't assume as someone who would be on YouTube. He's someone who would crush Instagram and post, oh, I did this thing, by the way. And, you know, the North Face would pay to be, you know, on his Instagram bio. And now it's like, it's very clear to like, you no, know, the North Face will pay to help make vlogs and show more of Sean. And Sean will go from this person that's elusive to like, oh, I spent 10 minutes with him the other day. He seems like a pretty cool dude. Oh, he invited, like, in in the video, he's like, oh, yeah, we have been Airbnb here. If you're coming by, let us know. And it was, like, such a, like, climber thing. So friendly. And I was like, wow, I did not think that was Sean. So this is also just partly where I'm at. But for me, it's just an interesting person. And it's someone that every brand has somewhat of an eye on. This is arguably one of the strongest people, strongest climbers in the world. Um, So I don't think he's the first to do it. andre has been way ahead of this game in terms of this kind of content. But to me, this felt different. This felt like maybe the first or another domino of those, it's like the pro climber moving over. It's not like he doesn't have a huge media team that said, Adam Andre, you should do this. It's gonna be good for the business. It was him and someone else and saying, let's make videos. So Mm -hmm. I don't know the behind the scenes of it, but from the outside, that's kind of the, that was kind of my hot take. Tom, you're in it a bit more in the pro climber scene. What do you think of it?
2: Uh, I, think, I think the important part of this here is that you've got someone with a, a really big name and a lot of influence within the climbing scene, and particularly with influence in terms of, I suppose, the, the cutting edge, but also just the actual moving of, of the times and the trends of what's occurring uh, within the, the media style of the day. Mellow is for sure that, that, that cutting edge. And I think it's very curious when you see an individual step out a little bit of line of what others are doing and taking a risk with this, because what it'll do is it'll just end up being a test case for where others will follow or observe Sean just fall flat on this concept and it won't work. But I would say I'm pretty sure that if this works in the next six months and it really succeeds. You will see five to 10 other vlog style accounts all started up by either current YouTube producers or by people that have had an interest in doing vlog style content, but haven't wanted to go for some high production quality, but are really good athletes. Mm. If it fails, I think it will end up with sort of a dust ball effect uh, effectively where six to 12 months may pass again. And another big influential player will go, you know what? I'm going to try this as well. And I'm going to stick my foot into the water and they might do it with a different style or they might have a, a different set of resources or strategy that comes from it. And again, that will be another test case. So I always really like watching these really influential big players try new things out because that will be the marker for often where the
0: market goes as such. Mm. And why is it why is it important or why, you know, if it works for Sean, why is it that the next person and the next person will fall in line and do something similar? Is it because this is going to be the the new best way for a pro athlete in climbing to make a better living for themselves? Or is it just because that's what brands will start to want? What what are your guys' thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I was, say, I was gonna say for me, I think. As someone who has more of a macro perspective on YouTube payouts versus Instagram payouts, I know that if someone can get a, a, a format that works and get climbers to show up that there is significantly more payout to be had from YouTube than Instagram, I think dramatically like two to five X in terms of like, uh, once you really get a, a system and a channel moving, So like for me, a big deal I saw was when Stefano did a first, I think Tom, I've messaged you about this. When Stefano did did an ad read for a non, for not North Face, for not Sportiva, like for, I think it was NordVPN. And I know how much the going rate on those ads are. And I know that's way more than he's getting for X, Y, and Z other things. Mm. Um, So I just know that if we can get to the place where that's not a crazy thing to do, the climbers are going to be like, it's going to be start worth their time to create that longer form, just a better connection with their audience versus an Instagram post every other day or every week or every month. Mm.
0: Do you have any additional thoughts on that, Tom?
2: Yeah, I think
0: that also you'll always see this,
2: the nature of observing someone do something well and having success for it. And Really, it de-risks that behavior for a lot of other people. So there's likely a number of people that have kind of been interested in going down this route before or, or currently. And when they can then watch and observe the format and the way that Sean does this, it just means that essentially you've got something to copy and and a formula to follow because we tend to all do that as humans. If you just even look at Instagram... And watch the cycles of trends and the way that people produce their content over the years is you've got these forerunners at the front that start to produce content in a unique and different way which people really see value in and they really really enjoy and you can see that just in simple numbers and metrics whether you're looking at the amount of comments and the sort of the depth of content comments that people have all the way down to really basic sort of stuff like likes for example and then sure as damn it six months later there's like another 20 people all kind of copying that style and way of doing it. Then you've got a hundred people doing it. Then it's out. No one else is doing it. It's not unique. Mm. And then someone finds a different way of doing things. And I think that's the, that's human nature all over. You, you see it in everything else. Like watch people how train. They train in climbing. Suddenly there's five people with best in the world who all train on fingerboards.
0: Two years later, there's thousands of people training on fingerboards. We all do it with everything. Right. So that's interesting. So you said, you know, once 100 people are doing it, it it ceases to become unique. And then we're on to the next thing. What do you think is the, I guess, the future of YouTube? Why is it, Tom, that you think this has so much more potential? Um, I have a note here in front of me that says that you both think that YouTube is the future of climbing media, and it's going to kill Instagram and TikTok. Why is that? Is it going to be sustainable or are people going to do, you know, a similar format to these vlogs? All of a sudden we have like a hundred pros doing it. None of us can keep up with the content anymore. And then are they going to pivot or do you think this is something that's here to stay?
2: Uh, So my view on it is that um, it has a few really important aspects to it. One is that the human connection element in YouTube content is really, really strong because it's, high-quality content, it's got a real human in there, it's easy to just just have a more natural interaction. It's the sort of exact polar opposite to just watching or looking at a well-engineered photo ad of someone doing something sexy, cool, inspiring, motivating, whatever. It's it's a video where you're watching that real human element or or, or action occurring. Then secondly is that it has a fairly high degree of investment that the individual has to give, whether the creator or the viewer. The viewer has to give a reasonable amount of time. So they are actually naturally invested in this process, and so is the creator. So people tend to hold on and latch onto these things longer when they have to invest greater, because you put a lot in. Why are you gonna exit so easily? It's that sort of sunk cost element. So I think that's important. And then lastly, is that the reward is higher for especially the creator, because this is something that is monetized and does produce a reasonably okay, okay income. Um, even if you're not on an account which has got 100,000 followers or sub- subscribers, you can still make an actually, you know, a pretty go- okay income, especially if you have good viewing figures, not just dead subs um, on a channel. Uh, and I think that's important because, you know, I've got a reasonably good following on Instagram. How much money do I make out of Instagram? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I'm sure people look at it and go, oh, yeah, Tom must be absolutely cleaning up on his 100,000 followers or whatever. Um, And everyone's saying, here's five grand to post about, I don't know, HelloFresh box that just arrived through his door. Absolute nonsense. I think I once got offered, I don't know, a few hundred quid to post something about something random. It wasn't appealing to me at all. YouTube's very different. There's actually a, a sort of a basic monetary war that pays your bills and it's practical. So that's that's my my kind of overall view on it, I'd say. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I think to summarize it though, like you said, Tom, there's the human connection, but why is it so much deeper? Is because if you just look at watch time, one thing. You scrolled through that Instagram picture in five seconds. Maybe you read the caption and you spent thirty seconds. Wow. Good job. Good Instagram post. A little clap for you. YouTube video, you spent five to 10 minutes watching that the average person. So that means some watched it all the way. I mean, that's the difference. Mm. I don't know how many, how much bigger that is, but like, that's the, the significant difference, which is why I think platforms like the short form, Instagram, TikTok, um, Facebook, all those are, I think they're more, will rotate in and out more because those, as opposed to the longer form search based as well. Like search engine is one thing Tom didn't mention is like that, like Instagram, you can't search for, uh, yeah. it's just not the same people. It's not the second biggest search engine attached to the biggest search engine. Like, like that's the thing that, um, as well. So it's high investment. So it's really hard for those hundred people to get there. Like that we talked about at the start of this is like, it's hard. It's going to take so long to get there. Um, and it's worth it for them if they can get there. Yeah, and um, yeah.
0: So. Uh, it's interesting. It actually, it it uh, hearing you guys describe it and kind of just thinking about my experience, because um, I, I was never someone that you know spent hours browsing YouTube, but I've kind of started to become that person because there's better quality content, because there's more interesting characters and stories to follow, and just, yeah, just better content. It reminds me a lot of podcasting. I, I feel like the long form podcast is here to stay as other things more, um, you know, shorter, little dopamine snacks, things like Instagram kind of come and go. Because that the podcast thing kind of taps into a human need, I think, like that need for connection. And you really feel like I'm hanging out with with these two people. And I get to be a fly on the wall in this great conversation. There's like some depth and connection there. And, um, you know, there's, there's always going to be some degree of timeliness to it. Like I'm sure that, you know, my, my episode from two years ago with Jonathan Segrist isn't as appealing to people as his latest interview on any podcast, just because, you know, time goes by, things change, whatever, but there's always some deeper truths and, and, um, there's like an evergreen element to that. And I, I feel that watching YouTube as well. Like it's shorter, but watching a 20-minute video from Sean or from Emile Abrahamson or from Adam Andra, it's like, wow, I'm hanging out with this person. I'm actually seeing what they do, how they go about climbing, what they've learned, what they struggle with, you know, celebrating their successes. It's uh it's really different. It's really cool. And it it does make you feel more connected to. Not just the person, but like almost everybody else watching too in this interesting way. <clears throat> so, yeah, I feel that. I feel like there's some cool similarity there. And there's a little bit more, um, there's a little more staying power with YouTube, like in podcasts, I think.
1: Yeah. And, and then it's the same thing. It's like podcast has the watch time, but it doesn't have the discoverability. Like we've seen Stephen just with launching the podcast onto YouTube. YouTube, like we barely promo the thing. Maybe maybe a few hundred people come over from, you know, we mentioned on Instagram or in the podcast, but that goes out to 20,000 people that YouTube finds. YouTube goes, oh, these people like it. They watch it. They want to watch more. YouTube has the same goal. And the fact that you create content and YouTube goes to work for you to find the people if it's good, mm. That's that's what's crazy. Plus you get the watch time. That really can you can build a business on. So that's that's the thing that as much as I love Instagram, TikTok, meh, as much as I love those platforms, you just don't have that. Mm. It's just it's totally it's it's almost unfair to compare them or put them in the same category. Yeah. From my point of view.
0: That's a good lead into uh why I got into YouTube with the nugget or why you can, why, how you convinced me to get onto <laughs> YouTube with the nugget, I should say. Um I'll just add a little context there. I've, I've of course, been talking about launching YouTube. I launched, um, or we launched the Nugget on YouTube at the beginning of February, and I'm super excited about it. And I'll just paint some context for people that haven't seen it or don't know why or don't know how it's different um, and and why I decided to do that. Because it's, for me, it's definitely not a money-making move. It's just, it just sounded fun. It just sounded like kind of the next cool step. And I could kind of see it adding more value and... It's almost like a way of repackaging some of the best nuggets from the show in a more convenient way and getting those in front of people and hopefully having that be a funnel to have them, you know, check out the podcast and listen to more episodes. But I've been really pleasantly surprised that it it kind of exists on its own a little bit more than I thought it would. So yeah, for people listening, I do the podcast myself. It's just the podcast itself is all me. Um, I don't have any employees. I have someone that helps me with Instagram, but that's it. And then I hired Sam and Climbers Crag to get the nugget on YouTube. So Colin is editing the videos and you guys have a team over there helping me with everything. So that's, that's out of my hands, except that we're, you know, we're talking all the time and talking about what topics would be good and what clips would be good to share. But essentially we are taking episodes from the podcast, pulling some of our favorite clips, Uh, clips that we think would be the most interesting or helpful to you guys. And then we're pulling video content from those guests, from other videos that they're in, things like that. And just trying to make a more engaging, interesting, repackaged video that captures some of the nuggets from that conversation. And then of course, if you want to hear the whole thing, you know, you go to the podcast and check it out. So that was the, that was the idea. And the response has been awesome. Seems like you guys are really psyched on it. And many of you have found the podcast through YouTube already, which is kind of blowing me away. It's only been like 22 days since we launched. Um, but yeah, my my, uh, my hope is just that it gets the podcast in front of more people. And it's a way, honestly, for me too, it's the same reason that I write out t- timestamps for the podcast. It's a way to remember some of those kind of aha moments or or interesting parts of conversations that are easy to forget when it's a two-hour conversation and get those in front of people. So. Um, but yeah, that that's kind of what's going on with the nugget on YouTube. Do you have any thoughts or any, anything you want to add to that, Sam? Anything that came to mind for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the coolest thing is something I mentioned to you the other day on our last call, I think, was we kind of stumbled into this format that we're not posting podcast clips as much as we're posting really kind of YouTube videos that are pulled from the podcast. I know that sounds like a semantic difference, but... If I had Steven and the guest for 15 minutes to record, it probably would be pretty close to that topic and that discussion. That would be what I would ask for. And, like, in terms of making a good YouTube video Um, and the fact that the library is there, I think it comes across more native than if we were just to do almost no editing and just clip from the podcast. Here it is. Like, we're going, we're cutting, we're choosing the topics and choosing the sections of the video just like i was like Steven, record this for me like this would be great and like we're treating it mostly like a youtube video i think that's why it, i think that's why it's doing well pretty much right off the bat mm. tom i'm curious from your side you're not involved at all in terms of <laughs> strategy content yeah any thoughts on your side
2: <laughs> i suppose I, I always look at stuff within uh youtube to say is this any any content that you're creating how close is this getting to feeling like you as the viewer were right there and then when this thing was occurring and happening? Because the exact opposite to this, which is where any form of you know, building brand, creating endorsement, um, creating likability, trust, any of those things, the exact poor side of it is when you just give someone some entirely static piece of content, whether it's a sentence, a word, a photo, it's so hard to make a connection with the thing which has actually occurred. Like for you, Stephen, if you're trying to get this person over here, we've we've got them in a room with us, and you want them to really be psyched on the Nugget podcast, if I said to you, okay, on one side, you can just give them a photo of you sat in your van, And on the other side, you can talk to them for five minutes about how psyched you are about this conversation you just had two days ago where Jonathan Segrist just told you this mind-blowing fact about how he approaches his climbing. And you'd be so into it and so curious and fascinated and the energy would come across and that person would go, holy smokes, that is cool. I want to go and have a look at, listen to that or go and watch it on YouTube And that's a really easy way to get someone to get into that zone. It's so, so hard through a cool statement or an inspiring picture, even if it is inspiring of you sat in your van and the sunsets there and you're peeing in your pee bottle, (laughs) you know, (laughs) everything. It's just those two sides of the spectrum. Make it feel like you're right there and it's really happening. That's the stuff that gets people in. Mm.
0: And that's why YouTube wins every time. Tom, I wanted to ask you, this is a good lead-in. How have you seen YouTube evolve uh, with the Lattice YouTube channel? Do you have any lessons from the evolution of Lattice? um, Just in general, and then I'd kind of like to tie it back to the nugget and see if you have any advice for me. But I'm just curious how you've seen things evolve and what you've learned from watching the Lattice training YouTube channel grow. Yeah, so I think... um, in the early days there
2: was a complete and utter scarcity of any form of content on YouTube on our particular domain which is you know all the training and coaching stuff so actually it was very very easy initially or initially all you had to do was just produce content and put it out there um you didn't have to you know have any particular complex strategy or think about the production quality or anything like that And I think that did describe or typify the early days. Um, But as things have changed over the last few years, I think what we've seen in Lattice itself, um, but also in YouTube, also as a sort of a broader category within climbing, is I think the audiences have become fragmented into their own niche groups of interest, and you no longer have... An individual that goes on youtube and they probably will watch most of the stuff on youtube because there's such a scarcity of content they're just desperate for something to watch for an hour whilst they're eating their dinner or they're bored and they're putting off some work or, or whatever it might be um now that they can go into their zone I'm like, i really like watching bouldering vlogs or i really like watching just training videos or, or whatever it might be so i think fragmentation of the audiences occurred and so as a result you have to be a little more direct thinking who is this for anymore so it's like that classic kind of customer avatar type scenario that you will have to do when you start to build a business and brand and be a little bit more intentional about that and then lastly i think the the sort of new element that's become really quite important in the last year maybe two years is that the production quality has massively gone up and it just doesn't cut it on YouTube really anymore to produce poorly edited content. Um, the standards are quite high. There's some really, really good producers out there, but some decent directors as well. Um, storylines are a lot stronger, like story arcs within the content that you have are a lot stronger. Uh, and I think that has sort of set the standard for how content occurs on YouTube. And, and of course, we've experienced that with Lattice and you just have to constantly up your game so that you, you know, you do, you do well out of it. People enjoy the content and you're reaching the highest sort of standards, I suppose.
1: Mm. Wait, so you guys weren't testing titles and thumbnails years ago? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, free, I was freestyling everything
2: with no script <laughs> and I would just turn up with Sam Lawson and go, right. What movie today? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just do that. Right. Go on,
0: roll, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who this is a better question for, maybe for you, Tom, but either of you guys can can speak about this. Give us a sense of what the behind the scenes look like for some of the modern climbing YouTubers who are doing a really good job. Like, what does it take for Sean Rabbitoo to make his videos? What does it take for Adam Andra to make his videos? Do these people have teams of many people? Um, is Sean editing these things himself? How long does it take to put one of these videos together? Do you guys have insights into that kind of stuff?
1: So wanna, much. So much. Yeah, you <laughs> want to go for one, say, <laughs> You go for I one, was, I'll go for one afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say mine, I feel like I definitely have... Um, it's, just, it's so different depending on the channels. But to give you some context on, we did video essays for a while. This will be different than what Tom will give as an example. Uh, I think we started something like 10 weeks, 12 weeks before release we would choose a topic and just to give you guys, like there was a lot of steps that went into before. And that was just like, cool. 10 was 10 weeks or so was like, all right, what idea should we make? Like what's interesting? What's happening? What's a cool story?
0: What's an example
1: video from, from that time, Sam? Oh my goodness. Um, uh, like we did one that did quite well with, uh, about John Backer, his career, and the kind of like his super fascinating story. And that was like, so that was pitched by one of our hosts. He said, this is a cool story. And I said, wait, that's real? That happened? (laughs) Like the way that he told it was great. So then like, then he would go and research it and pitch the whole group. Hey, here's the video. Here's the outline. Like, here's the intro. Here's why it would be interesting. Here's the title ideas. Here's what we could show in the thumbnail. Here's how we're going to end the video. I think people don't realize like to do uh, YouTubers, and this is kind of the, Once you're a pure YouTuber, like everything is topic, title, thumbnail, everything. And you can kind of throw intro in there as well. Um, in terms of that's like the scale, Tom will jump in and talk about quality and like, there's so much else to it, but like that is the, is so it becomes so important because it's just being shown to so many people. And if people don't click, they don't watch, they're going to see how good the quality is. It doesn't matter if you pulled a That shows you your back, not even climbing and the thumbnail says, Hey, like, I don't know that that's you climbing V 17 and I want to like see the send footage. Like, so like, these are just the things that you'll, I'll see thumbnails all the time come across and just like, wait, Oh, that was that I would have watched that. If you just, just let me know what, (laughs) just let me know what this video is. Mm. Cause that's, that's sick. But, um, anyways, I've gone down titles and thumbnail rather <laughs> yeah <laughs> um tom what do you what do you have to say on
2: production <laughs> yeah i think like sam said it, it is quite varied uh, across youtube and there's a variety of people that will do it as an individual person and will do a really good job of that like a, a classic example that would be Anna hazelnut who i've climbed with for the last couple of years she's a really great producer um who does it solely on her own she works really hard at it she's got a lot of experience with doing that and runs it on a really really tight budget she's extremely efficient with it um and she puts a heart and soul into it and thinks about what she's doing but she doesn't spend days weeks planning things um but she does ideate for quite some time and she's throws ideas around and thinks about the concept and how it would work and why it would be good. But I would say the majority of the equation is just she puts a lot of energy enthusiasm into the thing and chooses good people and good concepts to go and produce videos with, and that's why those work. And in a sort of pure mechanics of sort of investment versus reward from it is that her investment in both time and money are relatively low compared to other channels so she doesn't always need to have big hitters that come out of it it all works fine there's a functionality in that whereas you'll have other channels like Adam Ondra's, uh channel which is a full production team and we'll have multiple people involved and it was really interesting working with them recently when he came over to visit with me and pete
0: and we filmed some collab stuff with wide boys is that stuff out yet I, i'm i'm so excited to see that actually i remember hearing about this yeah it's not it's not coming out
2: until i think it's t- all timed up to line align with his five hundred thousand subscriber uh sort of uh milestone okay and they're all going to come out at the same time of that uh which again there's all these things it's kind of a, a bit of a nature of the game and you, for me and pete we'd be thinking yeah let's just smash it out now it'd be great to get it out because i know people are really keen but also you have to kind of respect people's uh, intentions from the outset and if people spell this stuff out, they want to do that, then that's, that's the way you have to go. You have to kind of be professional about it. But Adam just turns up like the the kind of actor on screen and, and just does this thing. And there's a cameraman there recording everything. He's got the ideas of the shots that he wants to do. He'll make sure that he gets all the B-roll from what I observed. Adam had very little input in terms of what would make good content but he very definitely had input in terms of what he was psyched for in terms of the climbing. But the videographer will turn up and be like, I'm there to film that and capture all that. And likewise, when we work with him, we went back and captured extra B-roll afterwards. We went out for an additional filming role, a filming day and got stuff um, when Adam wasn't there. And me and Pete went and did some sort of additional um, climbing and chatting to the filmmaker. He was kind of quite aware in his head of how he wanted the constant to look and the plot and everything like that. And yeah, that's that's quite orchestrated. And I think there's a fair cost to that because he's being paid to do his job. And I think there was someone who was organizing quite a bit of stuff back in uh, Czech Republic as well in terms of the administrative side of the channel. Then you've got the Bobats. There's a number of people involved with that team, multiple people managing it, um, sort of directing, editing, etc., cetera, uh, which has a, a fair cost to it. Uh, same for Wide Boys is that, yeah, Pete's a really great editor and does a lot of the editing himself for the channel and he's, he's really quite good at it now. But we also have a cameraman, Pete Neen, who comes in and films everything and we pay him to film and to edit and have that sort of additional input. So there is no longer, I think, in those bigger top channels, a just turn up, do it yourself and wing it. I think there is a guess... I'm saying a minimum cost nowadays of the bigger channels of somewhere between a thousand to perhaps three or four thousand pounds a month to run a YouTube channel um, and and do it well. I I would say those are sort of the the barriers of entry in
0: terms of cost for those channels now. Okay. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear about that. I mean, it's again, it kind of reminds me of podcasting and of course, like YouTubing is so much more complex with the technology but it's similar in that technology has gotten us to a point where all of a sudden you can have individuals making really high quality content or teams of two people like one videographer one athlete editor you know whatever that is um like wedge you know like wedge i'm really impressed with that Mm. channel is that sam uh sam Lawson. yeah sam okay yeah he's killing it his videos look amazing i assume it's just him shooting and editing pretty much everything. It seems like, um, Anna, I I think on Hazelnut, you know, she's, I love her channel. I think she just bought a camera. I think she's been making everything on her iPhone up until very, very recently. I could be wrong about that, but I think it's a very similar or a very simple, uh, setup. And, you know, with, with podcasting, I mean, my podcast doesn't sound as good as like radio lab or one of these professionally produced shows that have a studio and a team and everything, but it's, it's pretty easy to make a damn good sounding podcast with like a six hundred dollar setup in my van. You know, I record Zoom videos in my van and travel all over the place. And uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting how technology levels the playing field a little bit. I guess is is what I'm saying. But I'm curious, Tom or Sam, um, given what you just said, Tom, about how much it costs for some of the bigger channels to manage their YouTube. How much are people making on YouTube? You know, like, what does it look like for, for someone who's just starting out, um, with a simple setup, what potential is there for them to make money on YouTube? And then when you get to the level of Lattice training or, um, or wide boys, you know, to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it, how much are people making on YouTube? Where's the money coming from? Is it all from those ads, the AdSense on YouTube? I think just, uh, giving people a glimpse behind the scenes with that stuff would be interesting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I explained this yesterday to a client, so Tom, I'll take how it, how it works. Like a five-year-old, the client said, explain to me like I'm five. How how does this make us money? (laughs) And I said, okay, here we go. So uh, if people watch your videos, YouTube works with advertisers to place ads in those videos before it starts, in the middle, after. Every time someone watches, let's say five seconds, 10 seconds of that ad, you get a very tiny penny for providing that attention. Um, the more, the longer the video is, the more ads that can play, the more you can make from that same person that watched the video. So to bring it into reality, um, in advertising, everything is CPM cost per milli cost for a thousand views as an advertiser. How much am I going to pay to show up in front of a thousand people? Um, so as a climbing creator, as a YouTuber, you'll get paid. Um, I say anywhere between three and let's say nine dollars usd i'll confuse you tom and jump back to us dollars but three three to nine dollars in that cpm so that's how much i would actually make for getting a thousand views on that video there's a lot of factors in terms of what keywords are in the title how many mid rolls you put in um how long we've talked about all this but yeah um there's, there's a lot of factors but that's a rough guideline so these channels that can pull in Let's say the bigger climbing channels are somewhere between half a million and a million views. So we'll just not name names, but a million views somewhere in that three to nine grand USD. That's total views per month
0: across yeah. all their yes. videos. So they would make three to nine thousand dollars per month. Yep, off a gotcha. million
1: views. And, and there's a few channels in that range. Not in a bit climbing. A few. Like probably yeah, less than a handful that hit that hit about a million views a month.
0: Okay, so that's just from AdSense. And then what kind of potential is there for people that are actually reading ads for sponsors directly on their channels? Like, you know, you gave the example earlier of Stefano with uh with what was it? Yeah. With like a VPN or something.
1: Yeah, NordVPN. So all of these NordVPN, Squarespace, Skillshare. If you're on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. Um you've seen people do an ad read. Um uh, and those are in somewhere in the 10 to up to $40 per 1,000 views. Now this is that same million views. You get the AdSense. You get $10 to $40 CPM on top of that. This is what I'm talking about, that there's just a different level of business to be had because, again, that walk, going back to the watch time, it's exponentially more than that connection to that person, that creator, that athlete, is just exponentially higher than Instagram, than that TikTok 15-second video. So yeah, that's why those CPM rates are so much higher. And we will be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I took some Athletic Greens this morning, as I do almost every morning. Athletic Greens has become one of my favorite parts of my morning routine. You got a minute? Let me tell you more about my morning routine. This morning, I woke up, threw a scoop of Athletic Greens in a water bottle. I keep a little water bottle in the fridge overnight so it's nice and cold in my van. I shook it up and sipped on that while I was making my coffee this morning. I was listening to a podcast. It's so refreshing. I love the flavor. And it's just the best start to my day. I look forward to it every single morning. Why do I take Athletic Greens aside from it being delicious and refreshing? Well, I think of it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and really gives you all the micronutrients to meet your daily needs. I like to eat whole foods when it comes to my nutrition. I mostly follow a paleo, way of eating, but it's hard to eat perfectly all the time, especially when you live in a van and travel all the time like I do, or when you visit some of these remote climbing areas that we all love to visit. I'm sure many of you can relate to that. The thing I love about Athletic Greens is that if I take my one scoop in the morning, I know I'm covered no matter what happens nutritionally throughout the rest of the day. If you want to try it and see what all the fuss is about, Athletic Greens is going to give you, my dear listener, a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Those are so handy for road trips, weekend trips, etc. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com nugget. Again, that is athleticgreens.com nugget to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now back to the show. Who are the top names in climbing YouTube right now and why? Is that something that would be interesting to talk about? Tom, what do you think? <laughs> well,
2: ranking, that's controversial. <laughs> oh, well,
0: I don't think we, I don't think we have to rank. We don't have to do rank we? them. But yeah, I guess, I guess, um, I'm more interested in the why part of that question. What do you have to do to be successful? Why are some of the more successful channels as successful as they are? What works well? What doesn't work? I think it'd be interesting to just hear your guys' thoughts on that sort of stuff. Because you see, you know, I'm starting to see like, there's definitely a movement. You know, more athletes are jumping on this bandwagon and like, oh, I should be on YouTube too. And you can see that some of them are executing it really well. And some of them, it's just like, you know, uncut iPhone footage, no real editing, just not a ton of effort there or not a lot of um, maybe just craftsmanship or skill yet there. Um, and I'm just curious how you guys would think about like what makes the, the successful people or channels successful and, and um, how to emulate that for people listening if, if they're an athlete that wants to try it or a brand or whatever.
2: Mm. Oh, that is a, it's a tricky question. Because I think nowadays, the terrain is complex and demanding on YouTube. So it's no longer a simple answer. I don't think I would stand by saying just do A and B on YouTube and you'll do really well as an athlete or a brand. It's a little bit more like you should do A, B, C, D and E all pretty well. And then if you can align across all of those and maybe have a bit of a a sort of a superpower or, you know, real niche element in one of those, which really stands out, that could be where the magic happens. So I think the things that really matter now is, I think one is that it's still important to have a, a large brand or personal following or interest or you know that you're known um size of funnel whatever you want to call it i think that is important so alex magos turns up on youtube and starts producing a lot there's a good chance that that element is a really important factor going into it um secondly is that you've got to have high production quality just can't bang out any old crap anymore um alex produces crap content content i don't think it's still going to be successful like, you know, sticking a phone in, in his shoe and uncut footage even with a massive following it's not going to go that well um next one is going to be the sort of the entertainment likability factor Uh, i think people need to watch content on youtube now and not just feel like it's too constructed polished trying to sell you something or has no passion behind it i think it's a it's going to be a mistake that some of the I suppose, more well-heeled pros, those that have either got either a reasonable amount of personal funding behind them for whatever reason, or maybe brands paying and supporting for some of the channels. I think they're going to make some content which just doesn't feel very relatable or real. It's just going to be too polished. You're not going to enjoy it and you're just not going to get a great feeling from it. Hmm. Um, Without blowing our own trumpet, I would say the stuff that me and Pete produce on YouTube is the... Good side of that, that what you get when you watch a White Boys video is completely me and Pete. It's just us cocking around, <laughs> and it is exactly how we are in real life. And the more that you see people do it in that very, very genuine way, like Anna's really good at that as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's gonna fly. And then probably another part of it is the degree of sort of con- fit consistency and um investment that any of those individuals make on the youtube channel um or youtube as a whole so individuals whether they're athletes or brands going on there and turning it up and doing a piece of content randomly once every three months and going oh that was my effort that's enough i, I just want to go and do some climbing or i'm interested in other stuff i'm really into youtube uh, into instagram um but when i really need to i'm going to produce a bit of youtube I don't think it's going to work anymore. If you're a YouTuber, you're a YouTuber. You're all in. Go and talk to Magnus, and that guy is obsessed. He's amazing. I get so excited when I go and talk to him. I almost kind of can't quite believe that he's so good at what he does. He's such a good climber, but he's also so into the actual thing and the challenge and the task. And I personally find think that's really cool, and it shows with how successful he is. So I would say those are the, the big things. Um, and obviously, lastly, is that the, the actual content has got to be good. You know, right. you just can't fill it with just random rubbish. <laughs> right, um, right, but right. that, that kind
0: of go, goes without saying, because there's no scarcity, really, on YouTube, particularly yeah. more. Um, there, there is a fair bit of content out there. Right, right, right. Yeah. For people that haven't heard it, I had a conversation with Magnus on this podcast. I think it was 123, episode 123. It was somewhere right around there. Um, it's That number is fresh in my head because we put out some YouTube clips on, our, on the Nugget channel uh, for that Magnus conversation. But we talked about his approach to YouTube quite a lot. And I was shocked that he still edits all his own stuff and not just that, but he spends like 30 hours a week editing his videos. It just blew me away because the whole time I've done the podcast, I've thought about like, do I keep editing myself? I always edit myself or do I outsource that? I feel uncomfortable outsourcing it because I want to feel really good about what I put out there. I want to listen back to it and make those decisions myself. And uh, he kind of convinced me to to keep doing it because, you know, if he can put 30 hours a week into editing his YouTube videos and he thinks it's that important it's important enough that he, you know, he's held on to that, then I should probably do the same for the podcast. But, uh, that guy works hard. He, uh, he talked about how Adam Andra makes him feel lazy and he's definitely someone that makes all of us feel lazy. I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe not you, Tom, I don't know, but
1: (laughs) he definitely makes me feel lazy. He's, he's amazing. I I got one more thing to add to Tom. I feel like you, you hit on everything that I, or you didn't hit on any of the things that I was going to say which is mm. kind of funny. Like you're, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it was all important, but to me, my head goes straight to what I've already mentioned. And I'll keep the, a uh, redundant title topic thumbnail. Like, it's gotta be like good content is good content, but it's going to like, you've got to remember where, what, what, pla- what platform you're on and like the restraints it has. You get a photo. That's this aspect ratio and this title that gets cut off at this many characters. Like, using that well right off the bat is the difference between how well the Nugget's doing right off the bat versus if we would have just uploaded. Like, if we had terrible titles and thumbnails, it wouldn't matter if the quality, if we did the same edit, the same core content, but we didn't do the titles and thumbnails right and picking the topics, thinking about what people actually care about. It's almost secondary, which is kind Mm -hmm. of, it it's kind of people that aren't in the youtube world it feels almost like how dare you say that the contents if the contents great people will find it and it's like well where are you putting the content you put it on youtube you're not going to post on instagram what's the worst thing you can do like a 5 minute horizontal video and expect it to like do really well or like where there's black bars at the top and bottom that's like you don't do that because it's not that's not the best thing to do for the platform yeah um So even if that five minutes horizontal content was amazing. So that's why I always want to bring it back to is like, yes, everything Tom said. And (laughs) if you're going to start a channel, like really think, look at what good, what, what Magnus is doing. Like his channel went from, he became something. He went from like good climbing content creator to YouTuber in that one trip when he met um, Tom and Juji and they said, here's how YouTubers do it. We think of a topic. We think about what the title of that video would be. We think about how we're gonna show that. And then we go make good content. We right. don't do it reverse. And that's fundamentally like the one thing I'd tell people. If you're gonna go, if you're a pro and you're gonna go climb view 15 think about okay, can we get a good picture of this? And what are what are we gonna call this? Just some thought. Just some thought before you go shoot will make your life easier and you'll get way more out of it. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, you're what you're talking about is packaging and uh I really relate to everything you're saying because it's exactly how I think about the podcast, and I, I, you know, I think, I think the nugget has grown as much as it has, and it's spread itself through word of mouth to a large degree because of. Um, the conversations and the content within the conversations. But I from, from day one, like the probably my number one recommendation for people that are considering starting anything, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or building a business or anything, is put a lot of thought into organization and systems. And I put so much thought into, how are the titles of my episodes going to look? And and you know once I decide on a way of doing that, how do I keep? You know how do I maintain that consistency for the rest of time? Because nothing bothers me more than looking through a podcast feed, and the number structure is different every time, or the titles are formatted differently, and it's hard to find the episode that you heard about from a friend, and then you know it's not searchable because they didn't add tags, and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's so. I started this three years ago and I've kept it up. And of course it was like a lot of extra work on the front end and didn't matter when no one was listening to the podcast. But now that I have 150 episodes and lots of people listening, I made sure that it was dead easy to find an episode if you had heard about it from somebody and you're like, you you know the person's first name, that's all you need to know in the nugget and you'll be able to find it. Or you know the episode number. Or, you know, if uh, if you want to check and see if someone has been back on the show and had a follow-up. If you find your way to their show notes page, I list all the other episodes that they've done. You know, all that sort of stuff. It feels laborious and doesn't maybe feel important initially, but it just adds some, such a sense of professionalism. And as things grow and grow and grow, you're going to be so glad that you invested time thinking about that. And there's no right or wrong way, I, I, I don't think. I mean, I looked at a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, for ideas, um, but a lot of them do it differently, but they all have their way of doing things and then they stick to that and you can rely on that consistency um, as time goes on. So that's my soapbox. <laughs> but totally true though, totally true. Yeah. Okay, I wanna be a little bit selfish here. So as going back to the Nuggets channel, I have some ideas for what I want the future of the channel to look like. And Sam, you and I just had a meeting about this the other day. But I want to keep doing what we're doing. I want to have these shorts that are basically, okay, here's our you know favorite two or three nuggets from this conversation with video of the person actually climbing on the project or actually doing the training that they're talking about to make things clear and interesting for people. Um, I also, I want to move into making podcast episodes and videos that are a little bit more purpose-built for YouTube potentially and do things like this is an idea that I had recently. Like, here's the top five episodes that I've ever had on finger training. Let's make sense of all of these different people, different advice, different ideas, different protocols that seem contradictory. Let's look at them all. Let's take some principles and give you guys, you know, the top t- top three takeaways for your finger training. Things like that. You know, I could do the same thing for uh, for bouldering or like some of the greatest lessons that I've learned from the podcasts that have informed my own climbing and, and have helped me get better as a climber, things like that. So that's where I kinda wanna move with YouTube. I think YouTube's structured really well to do something like that and to share clips from these different guests. Um, you guys have be- both been doing this a lot longer than I have. Do you have any advice for me or ideas um, as far as the future of the Nugget channel and uh, and how it could become better over time? Tom, do you have anything? I'll let you. I was gonna say, I'll let you take this, Tom i was gonna say i'll let sam take this because
2: uh <laughs> he he he, he, de- he delivers on the operational front on the climate's crack working
1: on exactly these kind of partnerships <laughs> oh well i was gonna say i just talked to him about this so i was i was open to the 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 fresh perspective <clears throat> um well okay i'll give you i'll delay tom I'll, I'll throw it to you in a second but i'll say what i'm thinking for the channel what we've already talked about Stephen, is i think it's cool to one the first thing that we did with these kind of youtube videos pulled from the video podcast it was always test one it was just proof of concept if we put these guests talking about these topics with steven do people find that interesting i think we found within a week or two that the answer is yes Um, and now it's always for me it's just building out the ecosystem of the channel a little bit more to me that's i think testing things like do we put the full episode there and do we how do we edit that? Do we really want a two hour episode on YouTube? Do people watch that looking at the retention? So I'd be curious how that would do. Um, We've also talked about doing YouTube shorts. Podcast shorts are undeniably huge. If you spend any time on YouTube shorts, reels, TikTok, you've probably seen a lot of podcast clips, same subtitles. So does that work? Do climbers actually want to watch that? That'd be another thing I'm curious about Um, as well as the final thing, like Steven mentioned first is I think YouTube-specific content, uh, you have the guest. Does that change the filming? Like right now, when you're recording an episode, do we spend 15 minutes saying, all right, or 30 minutes? All right, now we're going to film this segment for YouTube that you know has something even more visual. Maybe hmm. Steven has some, I don't know, contraption or something visual on his end, or maybe it's an in-person episode and they go film something while they're together. All these things, I think that's where it really becomes cool because then everything's in one one channel one roof the brand really gets built out some videos have really long watch time i mean um going back to ad, how ads work imagine a two-hour podcast and someone who watches half of that and the amount of ads that they'll be seen. even if they have premium as well we still get as a creator as a channel you still get a cut of what of the ads they would have seen oh have interesting premium. okay so again it's not as much as if they actually watch the full ad but um yeah, I just like to throw that out. Like just think about great three to nine dollars for, you know, that's your shorter video. It's much bigger when it gets when you have a longer video. So um anyways, those are the various things that we've talked about. And I'm psyched for all of it just to see what what people like and yeah, how do we make a, a system around it?
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks, thanks, Sam. And and for people listening, part of you know, part of me wanting to do this podcast episode is to get feedback on this too because the purpose of all this stuff is to create more content that you guys will love and find helpful so if you have feedback hearing any of that let us know let me know that'd be awesome Um, there's a feedback page at thenuggetclimbing.com tom let me ask you this instead of asking for advice because you seemed uh, you seemed to maybe hesitate on that answer um, you consume a lot of climbing content what would you love to see from the nugget on youtube in the future
2: uh, I think I'd uh,
0: probably combine it with the,
2: the, the answer that I would have given on that previous question, which is that what I would want to see from you, and likewise to anyone that would be listening to this who's thinking about producing content or is currently producing content, is that you've got to think really about where where or what platform – is this content going to go out onto and try as much as possible to try and produce content specifically for the way that that platform presents, but also the audiences on those platforms and understand that that is a thing. Now it's kind of already been a thing for some time and people knew some really basic stuff like don't try and produce a post for Instagram and just roll out exactly the same copy or the, you know, the wording. On Facebook, it's just not going to work as well. It's exactly the same thing when you produce content that's more video-based or um, is just audio. Is think about where is that going to appear. You can't just yeah take take your clip and go right, copy paste, copy paste, drag and drop, load into all these other platforms. It will work to some extent when you have a scarcity of content and you have over demand on that sort of need for the content or wherever that platform is, you can kind of still do okay uh, with that. But when that starts in that, that kind of runway stops, you have to be much more directed in terms of making sure that that content actually works for that platform. And I think that's the number one mistake that I see others make and where I would want to see you thinking about how you do these do these things, Um, which goes back to that sort of item that you talked about before about being planned and being intentional about where you're going with it so when you think about youtube shorts for example is you're going okay what am i actually going to try and do here where am i going to make amazing youtube shorts content specifically for youtube shorts this year rather than ah i've got a load of footage how do i cram this and make this work for youtube shorts you can do that. I'm not saying is impossible or f- impossible for anyone, but that's not as good as starting right from fresh and going, how do I make the best YouTube short content? Like look at um, is it Noah Kane, who's the, the really big YouTube short content creator on YouTube. Yeah. He thinks specifically about YouTube short content. And I remember when I watched met him for the first time, and I went, oh, right. That's the thing, um, I didn't realize you thought in that way, and I couldn't believe it, and I know it sounds really basic, but it's incredibly successful when you you just make that little leap in terms of how you go about it in the first place, so that's that's where I would really encourage you
0: okay, yeah, thank you, thanks for that. That's really helpful. I'm just curious on that um on that note of that content creator. It's hard to describe on a podcast, I'm sure, but can you describe what's different about what they do versus? someone who already is making longer YouTube videos and trying to make little cut downs with what they have? Like what, what's the difference there? What what, what makes his or, or their shorts stand out? I think it all comes down to the way that
2: uh, you start and leave that clip. So if you go into creating something that you have 30 seconds to essentially, I, I hate it, it's kind of like a bit cliche, but tell the story in your 30 second clip, if you go from the outset thinking, how do I let someone know a message and cl- clearly communicate it that's very attractive right from the outset but leave someone with something to go, oh, wow, I'm going to remember that or that made me really step back and think, you will tend to hit that target more when you set out to achieve that in 30 seconds rather than constantly jumping around trying to go, ah, oh, where's my little 30-second clip of gold that I got? my nugget yeah, yeah. Um, from my podcast that I recorded long form content. I don't think that's as good. Um, So that's what I I suppose I mean um, by doing that is is trying to package it um, so that it specifically fits into that gap. It's the same thing of like if you went right into a format that people think about in carousels, for example, in Instagram that most people are very competent with and experience with in terms of um, social media content is there's a whole way of producing good quality carousel content. Don't just smash out eight random photos. Think about what is the experience through those eight photos? Is it taking you through a little journey? Has it got a start? Has it got a finish? Did you construct it? That's going to do so much better than something that's just pulled out of your phone the late, latest eight photos, even if they're really cool photos. Yeah.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense, Tom. I um, I was just thinking about how early on in the podcast, the first year I was managing my own Instagram myself. And uh, I tried for a while to make audiograms, you know, it's just like a static image and then like maybe a 30 second audio clip or a minute long audio clip of the guest. And I was, you know, I had like these amazing two hour long interviews with these people. And I found it incredibly hard to find a compelling, interesting clip that was less than a minute long that captured anything. You know, it took, it always took like three minutes, like the setup, easing into something. I asked way too long of questions a lot of the time. And uh, it they just, it just almost never happened. It was, it was almost impossible. So I think that's what you're touching on. Like if I asked a very pointed, quick, concise question, cut right to the answer um, with the intent of making it a short, less than 30-second clip, it seems like that would probably do a lot better in that format. So,
2: Yeah, yeah. And I was going say one other thing as well, Um, just to kind of um, add on to that, is that as much as possible within these things where you're creating a piece of content which you're hoping is leading to someone visiting your website or going to watch the whole YouTube video or going to listen to the whole podcast is you have got to try as much as possible, go for that kind of curiosity-led, peaking of the interest side of things. Don't go for big, booming statements Mm. or challenging ideas or sounding really knowledgeable. I I don't think that actually leads as much as something which is is curiosity-led. It's an incredibly potent little tool Um, To use with the with the human mind, Um, (laughs) we're we're total suckers for it. If you you can do that, yeah.
1: I have one thing to add to bring that the packaging or what Tom was saying into reality. It was like on the let's take it away from YouTube Shorts and let's say uh, you were going to film thirty minutes with a guest, Stephen. We're going to film for YouTube. We're going to still make the same eight minute clip, but now you can give an intro that leads in. That's straight to the, so we would plan the topic and the title and the thumbnail. So we'd be like, okay, so we're going to ask them this hard hitting question or this question about their recent flash that everyone's psyched to hear their story on. So now you'd say, cool, I'm going to lead in with the pointed question that's not trailing and a long one minute question. It's here's the 10 second question and they could lead in right away to the answer. As a YouTube experience, that is what, or that is way more native than you click in and you're like, Okay, Stephen's talk is are we even going to get to hmm. talking about the thing I'm here for? And then 2 minutes in you're like, "Oh, okay, they didn't lie to me." But 90% <laughs> of people are gone at that point. Right, so, right, right, right. Yeah. So that's the thing you come in with with the plan and working backwards from what's 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 normal. What do people expect in this environment? Yeah. Instagram, YouTube, et cetera.
0: This is going to be a 90 degree turn, but that's okay. Why aren't brands on YouTube? What's going on there? We've got some really, you know, some, some great individuals who've created amazing channels. We've got some fun collaborations like the Wide Boys or like Mellow, you know, Mellow's a channel where you can just see all the hardest shit being climbed um, by a number of different people. But yeah, not that much stuff from brands. Why is that? Why, why or how are brands failing on YouTube? And what needs to change for them to be successful there? Do you think that's where things are going? I think it's where things should be going. Uh, I certainly
2: don't think they're going fast enough. And my... I was going to say my fear, but then I was going to say it's actually right now, it's kind of an opportunity. Um, But basically what I think we're going to see is that the brands are going to essentially lose control over the the narrative and the content creation within the climbing space. And it is all going to go to the individuals. Uh, I think we are entering into probably the, the a decade of the personal brand and you are going to see the likes of, I mean, I know kind of why voice is maybe a little bit of a weird thing because it has got a company behind it, but myself and Pete, for example, um, Magnus, Adamondra, Stefano, etc., will become more influential, essentially bigger players within the content creation than those brands, and ultimately will become the place where the greatest value lies, um, where the attention is, um, and where endorsement is built, and where your climbing population pay their attention to. Um, and brands are going to completely lose out on that if they don't start to make some kind of move um, in on that. Because right now, the type of stuff that they're producing is like it's out the 1990s, and they're trying to make kind of crappy reviews of their products, a few staff training videos, the occasional long feature film, which I think some of them have done quite well, like your Petzels and Black Diamonds um etc patagonia as well um but i think they they have to be careful to to not lose the the tide on this um but of course on the flip side of it it's a great opportunity for the athletes out there uh, and the creators that are sort of athlete creators i suppose you'd call them mm. um and it's gonna be amazing for them because they're kind of cutting the middle man out mm. and they are now long now going to become the controllers of their own sort of careers and and I suppose uh, return for them it will no longer be them going to a brand and saying oh well how will you support me in doing this it will be the brands who will be coming very much to them and also they will be able to sort of um, monetize and 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 make a, a much better living and a much sort of clearer cleaner living out of doing that because they have the control of it. I think that's I think that's where
0: it's going. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think um, Do you think the move for brands is to have their own channels and curate their own content on YouTube versus what it seems like North Face is doing, where North Face is getting behind Sean Rabbitto and behind Mellow and like you know allegedly paying quite a bit of money for these bigger productions. Um, Things like the Alphane video, you know, it's 45 minutes long. It's sponsored by North Face and it's like really, really well produced. Shout out to uh, Ben Nielsen. I think he was behind that one. It's just an awesome video. But yeah, what do you think is the better move for brands as far as that goes? I'd say that
2: it would be, I think there's two two sides to have for it. Uh, One is, I think it's a very strong, wise move by North Face in terms of getting involved with Mellow or you know the Mellow crew uh, and that kind of group thing, because they have a competitive advantage on that. It's, it's very hard to organize and back a group of individuals. No YouTube channel right now can do that. I don't think they actually have the money to to do that. Even if you said to Magnus, um, can you get together pen climbers and fly them around the world all the time and produce really good content? I doubt he would have the appetite to be able to do that. So, I think they have a competitive advantage on that. And I think that's a, a very, very good move. And ultimately, all the other parts that we talked about the package of the equation of quality, production organization, large funnel, good thumbnails, et cetera, they've got that all sorted. And then the other move, I think, for brands is to be a little bit more proactive in getting their brand or their product appearing within the content which occurs on YouTube it still surprises me the number of people that are producing content really consistently and there's hardly any brand collaboration with them I just can't I don't even know why this is happening hmm. It's mad considering where how active they are with supporting people on who are producing lots of instagram comments uh, content or Mountain guides who are out there working with clients or people that have blog pages. I think they're way overpaying on those. And I think they're massively underpaying and underseeing the, the value on YouTube. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think that's phase one for a lot of people. Because again, it's a little less. If, if we said there's one thing you need to do, you need to hire and find and hire an editor, a videographer, someone to show up in your, and your brand needs to show up every week. That's a crazy step one. Mm. I think step one is is working with the. I mean, I think I said this early on. I said we'd come back to it. And next we did is like the handful of people at the top don't have a ton of brand requests. Of br- like climbing brands aren't showing up in that content as much as it should be. I'm baffled by the amount of people that are, say, the top five names don't all have an obvious, clear, shoe brand or apparel or things that are just like this is so natural to mention or to be aware of this is my favorite shoe people are so connected and spend time with these people their shoe recommendations their apparel um the chalk they use i'm coming up blank like the gear that they're protected by makes a difference in people's decisions right It, it might like it's it's very silly to think it's not and again, if you go back to watch time with people, brands are paying to show up for five seconds to these <laughs> on Instagram mm. versus paying to show up for five minutes. Mm. And it's kind of like, you should, it's okay if you paid five times more because you're getting a hundred X, you know, like, again, watch times too simplified, but that's the core concept here. It's right, just like, right, right.
0: It's kind of silly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, it totally works. Like I just got a, a couple pairs of drones from Mad Rock because of Emil Abrahamson, like giving them a really powerful shout out in his video. And, you know, I've, I've seen them on Instagram countless times, but that finally got me to pull the trigger and try them out myself. Um, I'm curious, Tom, you might, you might be the best person to answer this. I certainly don't have any insight into the, into this like professional climbing world, uh, the way that you do. Is it possible that those deals are kind of happening behind the scenes? Like, do you think that, you know, I I know that Sean Rabatou climbs in La Sportiva because I just noticed that he's climbing in Solutions and Miras and whatever else. Do you think his uh, sponsorship agreement with La Sportiva includes YouTube or his plans for that? Do you think that's part of these like behind the scenes deals at all? Or um, is that just totally getting missed by brands at this stage? Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think it is to some extent um, and I can only really, I suppose, share what I've chatted to other professional athletes with on this topic um, and then some of my own experiences. And I would say it it, it it definitely is in the radar of the brands and they are starting to ask how they can move involved with YouTube content as to contractual obligations. I'm not sure with some of the others. I haven't actually specifically asked them on those but there is every possibility that there is because I agree on some of my contracts, some degree of sort of YouTube proposal um, content that comes out through the year, but it's still a little more on a, a kind of almost like your classic athlete trip proposal or project support that you'll put into the brand and say, I've got these three projects across the year. This is the outputs. This is what's involved. Would you like to support it? think that's the way that it's occurring at the moment still, but I haven't yet heard of a an athlete being taken on and say, right, you're being paid $20,000 across the year, and now no longer am I putting 20 days into your contract a year that you have to turn up and you come to a trade fair, staff training, an event or whatever. You have 20 YouTube videos in a year because they could totally swap that out and I think, again, going back to this thing where they're overpaying and, and not putting the attention, for me as a brand, take out 20 days where the athlete's turning up to the trade fair or the event. I think if you could swap that out for 20 YouTube videos or even 10 YouTube videos, if they're a decent channel, probably five to 10 times the value, in,
1: in, in my view, oh, yeah, what it's, they're doing. I'm just
2: stuck in this old school method.
1: Mm. And just also think about the from a business side, you can have links and tracking and code and outside of like personal connection that's great but also you get just better metrics numbers to know where the money's going so it's like both sides it's objectively and from my sense it's better
0: yeah it makes sense I mean you show up in front of a couple hundred people at a festival or something versus having 20,000 people watch your video or a hundred thousand people watch your video that's a it's a big difference <laughs> Very big difference. And uh, and the people on YouTube are actually watching you like send the gnar, you know, um, rather than stand up in front of people and talk in a microphone or whatever. Um, This has been awesome, you guys. Anything we've missed? Anything you want to talk about? I have a couple, you know, fun closing questions. I think it'd just be fun to hear what you guys um, would be most excited to see as climbing in YouTube progresses. But uh, anything else we missed that we should talk about before I let
1: you go? We didn't talk about A-B testing 10 thumbnails for every video and the... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: Sam loves the packaging.
1: What? No, you you can't. Is, that, is it obvious?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Anything from your end, Tom? Any other topics that we, uh, we should hit on? No, I think we've, co- we've covered uh, a, a lot of the stuff. I would probably just
2: say that for anyone listening who is thinking about starting a youtube channel or they have got a a small one that they've maybe had kind of tinkering around for the last couple of years and maybe they've got a thousand subscribers on it or 500 subscribers and and are thinking that they really want to go for it i would say that like many things in life which are have a really nice end goal and and deliver quite a lot back to you um is that YouTube is also similar in that it is rewarded by lots of hard effort and really consistent effort over a long duration. There are no particular tricks or hacks or easy ways through this. Everyone that I have met who is a really good YouTuber and has done well out of this has got such a good work ethic. They're so consistent, they put really, so much passion into it. And no matter what you see on the surface of some of the content out there on YouTube, and no matter how chill someone looks or that they just winging it, I promise you behind the scenes, there'll be a lot more professionalism and hard graft than you you think. Like for Magnus, this case, for example, yeah. when I first met him, I kind of thought that he was gonna be pretty hard work, but I sort of thought in my head that maybe, I don't know, he just had something, some advantage that I didn't know about. And I started asking him loads of questions about how he, you know he made his success on YouTube. And he's just an insanely hardworking guy and very, very passionate about it. And I've rarely met anyone like him. And that is why he is successful. Yeah. it's no other thing. So if anyone wants that or to get anywhere close to it, you've got to put that stuff in. It, it ain't easy.
0: Yeah. I would say, I think the exact same thing is true with podcasting. I mean, on a different scale, because it takes a lot less time to put together a podcast episode than it does a YouTube video. but um, but it probably, I think you know, some people understand it. Like I get these kind of two different responses um, when people, you know, r- respond to the, the, uh, the podcast that I do. Some people are like, Oh my gosh, like, thank you for all the hard work you do. The, the hard work that you do. I can tell that they realize that it's a a ton of work and other people just like, oh, you like have conversations and put them on the internet, you know, like that, that, that sounds easy. (laughs) And it's, uh, and it could be, you know, it could be that simple, but it wouldn't be successful. And I've helped quite a few other people start their own podcasts now. And very few of them have really stuck with it in a meaningful way because they've, they've, and, and across the board, every single one of them has been like, why didn't you tell me it was this much work? You know, they're like, what the hell, dude? Um, and it is, it's it's a full-time job to do it well and to create something that you're going to be proud of, that people are going to listen to and to be consistent enough with it to really um, get it to a point where it grows and takes off. It's a full-time job. It takes a ton of work. It's the most fun job I've ever had. I'm I'm I love it so much, but it's a full-time job. And it's all the little things that you don't necessarily think of when you just, you know, throw on the podcast and hear a conversation. There's a lot more behind the scenes. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure the same thing is, is true for YouTubers.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you, uh, you're, you're, you're on the outside, you're hearing this, you don't, you're don't. you kind of like on the edge, you have questions, we didn't get to things. I'm mean, going to just shoot me an email. Like I, I will jump on a zoom for 30 minutes and just say, that's a dumb, that's a waste of your time. Go elsewhere, elsewhere. So Sam and Climbers Craig shoot me an email. I'll say, you're wasting your time. Here's the way to go. Even if we don't do anything together, I don't care at all. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I feel like just education on YouTube is huge right now in terms of athletes, um, brands, just like, what do we do? So if you need, if you're like, how do I make money from AdSense? One, I should just go listen back to what we explained earlier, but I'll explain it again if you need to. So Sam at Connors Craig. Awesome.
0: Yeah, thank you guys. Um, Tom, what would you be most excited to see on YouTube in the near future? Ooh, what would I be most excited to
2: see? I would love to see more collaboration between the big YouTubing channels, the people that have already kind of honed their skills and have done good quality work on youtube but working together but mixing really interesting styles and sort of diversity of content and seeing what happens in the magic because you've got two sides uh, of the kind of equation that are clearly very competent but what happens if you blend those two together almost like what would happen if you put friends and Seinfeld Together on the same screen. Like, would it just be total chaos
0: or would it be terrible? I'd love to see a bit more of like that. I'd like, I like I love to watch it. I like that total chaos and terrible were we're supposed to be opposites. <laughs> <laughs> Tom wants the total chaos.
2: <laughs> that's his ideal.
0: Every time. Yeah.
2: Every time. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd like to I'd like to see a bit more because I love that stuff when uh, Magnus and Adam collaborated and yeah, yeah. did work together. thought it was genius. Just
1: just perfect.
0: What about you, Sam?
1: Uh, if Tom went with something with big channels, I'll go with something small channels. I'm excited to see with this movement, with all the people start, who's who's going to come out of nowhere. Because I think a lot of the roadmap and good, ex- there's more good examples than ever. So I'm excited. I think people can pick up at speed. And go from zero to like whoa, they were everywhere in my home feed. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. And I think they'll do that from taking the roadmap title thumbnail. I'm just going to throw in one more plug for packaging. <laughs> <laughs> and th- th- they take that, but then they do something, they do something interesting and slightly different that we haven't seen before because mm. um, we don't need another Magnus. But there's a lot of things you can take from from him. Um, and I think people would do that. I think they'll get to 100k um, or just high high viewership in months versus the years grind it's been for most of the people that are big at this point. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm excited to see. It's awesome.
0: I'll share my answer. Cause as I was hearing your guys answers, I couldn't help but think of my own. I just, uh I, I think it'd be really fun to get to a point where most of my like television watching would just be following along with my favorite athlete athletes that are out there doing cool stuff. You know, like I follow, Um, I do watch Magnus's channel, um, but I love watching climbers that are rock climbing, that are pursuing goals. I love following Adam Andra and Sean Rabatou and, you know, Wedge is basically like Aiden Roberts and Jim Pope most of the time. And on a hazelnut, seeing these people out there pursuing the thing, working on the goal, sending the routes, whatever it is, I just think that's so much fun. And I would love to see more of my favorite athletes pop up in that space. Uh, More women, more people on the margins. I I don't know why, but I think on a hazelnut is the only person, the only professional climber who's not a male that I can think of who's kind of going after it in a big way I don't know why that is and maybe I'm missing some but you know it'd be so fun to be able to tune into Katie Lamb's channel see what she's up to tune into Michaela Keir see what she's up to and so many others Um, yeah I, I think that's what I would be most excited about as far as climbers on YouTube moving forward I think that'd be really fun Hmm. And then I don't. I don't even have to pay for Netflix anymore. You know, just have my premium YouTube subscription.
1: There you go. It's it's a better value, man. It's a
0: Better value. <laughs> it kind of it kind of is. It's kind of <laughs> my go to television at this point. It's great. And that that and uh, the Last of Us. I'm watching that right now. I can't get enough. <clears throat> like waiting for every episode. But anyway, yeah. Um, I think that's it. I think we made our way through my list. Sam, did I miss anything? Anything else or is that about
1: cover it? For once, I've been full screen on Zoom the whole time. So I have no notes. I'm, so you tell me. When we're done, we're done. Okay. I'm, yeah, so I'm good. Yeah,
0: this is great. Let's wrap up here. For those of you listening that haven't checked out The Nugget on YouTube, I would love it if you would go check that out. I will link to it, youtube.com slash at the The Nugget Climbing, make sure you include the at sign. I'll put a link to it right there in the show notes. I will link to everything that Tom Randall is up to. Tom, what are you up to? You're involved in so many different YouTube channels and things and businesses. I can't even keep track anymore. But obviously, Lattice Training, Wide Boys. Um, Are you guys still doing the Late Night Climber show? Is that still going on? And and what else are you up to these days? No, I got got, got kicked off it. (laughs) Yeah. It was
2: the suit.
1: Sam kicked me out. (laughs) It was the audience. The suit. The suit. They couldn't stand. The audience was like, "Get him off, ugly suit." (laughs) That's that's
2: that's my purpose of anything. Is I I'll turn up in the early days, wing it, take the risk, see whether it floats, and then I'll move on to far more competent people who can actually fill in behind me and actually do a decent job. I'm, I'm like the
0: sacrificial guy at the front <laughs> going, going over the trenches. Well, is there anything else you want to plug YouTube wise on your end? No, I've got nothing to plug. I've too far too much plugging already. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's just been plugging uh, titles and thumbnails this whole time, which I don't know how that benefits him. But This
1: episode sponsored by titles and thumbnails. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Spend more time on your titles and thumbnails. Yeah. But yeah,
0: I'll link to all the things, Tom Randall, all the things, Sam Van Boxtel. I always want to call you Sam Von Baxtel, Sam (laughs) Sam Van Boxtel at Climbers Crag. Anything you want to plug, Sam, before I let you go?
1: I'm going to just stick with one CTA. There's a lesson here. Ask for one thing. If you have any questions about YouTube, shoot me an email.
0: Sam at Climbers Crag. Sam at Climbers Crag. Got it.
1: Dot com, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> I, guess, I guess that's how emails work but right all right thank yeah. you both great to see
0: you both again yeah 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 likewise
2: always a pleasure it's, uh, it's it's great chatting great great podcast Stephen I've, I've always always enjoyed doing stuff with you wow,
0: right. I appreciate it man you've always been very supportive and very kind with your words and generous with your time so always a pleasure to have you on do you have any uh, trips planned to the states anytime soon you coming back for the desert cracks or any any uh, other trips on the horizon? Yeah, I'm, I'll definitely be back in the autumn,
2: but I'm actually going out to Austria with Anna next oh, nice. Monday, this coming Monday. Sweet. So, yeah, yeah, we're gonna go and do some some sketchy slab climbing out in Austria for a few weeks. So yeah. that should be fun, and
0: and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what see what shenanigans that brings. I love it. Well, I'll plant the seed right now. I would love to do a follow up with the two of you while you're on the trip. If you guys have the the time and the bandwidth for it, that'd be super fun to get you both on at the same time. Oh man, that will actually. I'm mostly up for that because that will be total chaos. <laughs> I should definitely do a duo one. Yeah, yeah. I'm, okay, you're in. I'm I'm up for it. Yeah, for sure. Can't wait. Love it. Awesome. And then Sam, how's your how's the rest of your life? How's your climbing going? Do you have time to climb anymore? <laughs>
1: Uh, I mean, I'm kind of actually going to get the chance to move, get away from my one city for once. I'm headed to Bend to go climb with um, our lead account manager at the agency. So hopefully nice. we'll get out for a day or two, maybe just one. But um, so there's some cool stuff there. And then I'm going to go down to Boulder for my first really work trip. So I'm going to literally just go three days. and just going to go meet up and climb with clients. So many people are in Boulder, so I can just go to one place and meet a lot of people. So
0: That's awesome, man. uh, Yeah. That's what I'm up to. Cool. Well, thank you both again. I will link to all things in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you found that helpful or interesting. Uh, Please go like and subscribe over on YouTube because that's the thing that YouTubers are supposed to say. Subscribe to the channel so you can see what we're doing over there as things grow. And I should mention this too. I am doing more and more. We've talked about production quality a lot in this conversation. I'm doing a lot more with video these days. I put out full uncut interviews on Patreon for those of you who want to watch podcasts. Um, So many of those are already available and I'll be doing more and more of those. And then I'm planning to get some... Video equipment and start recording in-person interviews as well. So that is all in the works. You guys can stay tuned for that and check that out at Patreon.com/slash/The Nugget Climbing. Okay, those are all my plugs. Uh, thank you, thank you, guys, both. I'm sure we'll all talk again. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. The